I'm Tracy Sable. Tonight on EWTN News Nightly, intense negotiations. How the Biden administration is fighting for the freedom of hundreds of hostages. Meanwhile, a protest calling for a ceasefire in the Israel-Hamas war turned violent in D.C. Name-calling. China pushes back after President Biden calls President Xi a dictator. Answers at your fingertips. Updates from the creator of a new website for truth-seeking Catholics. And World Day of the Poor. How a humble hospital makes the Pope's initiative an everyday practice. These stories and more tonight. From EWTN, the Global Catholic Network, this is EWTN News Nightly. Thank you for being with us. Our top story tonight. As the war in the Middle East rages on, the IDF reports they recovered the body of an Israeli hostage near the Al-Shifa hospital. This as the military spends a second day searching the medical facility they say is a site of a Hamas control center. This is video, which Israeli forces claim is evidence, weapons and explosives found in the complex. Meanwhile, the head of the International Red Cross says people are trapped in Gaza City. We're getting a lot of calls from civilians who are now trapped in the fighting in uh, Gaza City and they are pleading to be evacuated. But unfortunately, the security conditions are just simply not allowing it even for our teams to be able to move around in these parts of Gaza. Police and protesters clashed outside of the Democratic National Committee headquarters late last night. The pro-Palestinian supporters want a ceasefire in the war between Israel and Hamas. Well, six Capitol Police officers in Washington, D.C., sustained injuries ranging from minor cuts, pepper sprays, to even being punched. Seven members of Congress were inside at the time and had to be evacuated. One person was arrested for assaulting a police officer. The Biden administration says that it is involved in intense negotiations trying to free the hundreds of hostages still held captive by Hamas. White House officials say they have a team on the ground that has been working on it for weeks hour by hour. And they do remain hopeful. White House correspondent Owen Jensen reports. Tracy, just last night at a news conference in California, President Biden said that Hamas wants to repeat what it did back on October 7th. Now, regarding the hostages still held, he did not want to go into detail specifically, but says he's been deeply involved in negotiations and remains, quote, mildly hopeful. And today, administration officials offered more updates. In California, President Joe Biden attending the APEC conference addresses a group of CEOs worried about their businesses. Many companies are now finding a vulnerable global economy as crises, including multiple wars, span the globe. The choices we make are going to matter, it's not hyperbole suggest, for the entire world. Meanwhile, back in Washington at the State Department, an update on the hostage situation in Gaza. President Biden has resisted calls for a ceasefire, instead saying there should be pauses in the fighting to facilitate the delivery of humanitarian assistance and the potential extraction of hostages. Simply, what's the latest on the efforts to get the hostages freed? 
The secretary has been engaged in it. Other members of the, of the, the administration at the senior most levels have been engaged in it. But it is just not a, uh, a topic we find productive to talk about publicly in terms of details. Earlier, National Security Council spokesman John Kirby described hostage negotiations as intense and ongoing. Hopefully they'll come out the right way and we'll have good news to talk about with, with multiple hostages getting freed. But we don't have a deal right now. Back in San Francisco, fresh off his meeting with Chinese leader Xi Jinping, President Biden had this exchange with a reporter last night. After today, would you still refer to President Xi as a dictator? This is a term uh, that we used earlier this year. Well, look, he is. I mean, he's a dictator in the sense that he, he is the guy who runs a country that is a communist country that is based on a former government totally different than ours. China's foreign ministry called the comments extremely wrong and irresponsible political manipulation. But today, all smiles for the cameras as President Biden and other world leaders take a family photo at APEC. The U.S. and China also agreed to combat illegal fentanyl and reestablished military communications. However, there are still deep differences on economic competition and global security threats. One positive sign, China will send the U.S. new pandas. This happening just a week after three from the Smithsonian National Zoo were returned to China. At the White House, Owen Jensen, EWTN News Nightly. A bipartisan ethics committee report concludes there is substantial evidence that New York Republican Congressman George Santos violated federal law by using campaign funds for personal use. Seems to me that George Santos is unfit to serve as a member of Congress based on the clear lies that he had told to the people of the 3rd Congressional District in New York. He is a serial fraudster. Now, the committee did not recommend any specific disciplinary action, leaving that decision up to Republican leadership. But the findings are likely to prompt calls to expel him from Congress. Outside his office, members of the press waited for a comment, but he was a no-show on Capitol Hill. Congressman Santos has announced that he will not seek re-election in 2024. Uh, the government is now funded until early next year, but some House Republicans are not happy with House Speaker Mike Johnson and are demanding he come up with a plan over the Thanksgiving recess that keeps conservative principles. Capitol Hill correspondent Eric Rosales has more. Good evening. More House Democrats voted for the government funding bill than did Republicans, and that set off alarm bells among some GOP lawmakers. They're upset because it doesn't include spending cuts, and members of the House Freedom Caucus have now put Speaker Johnson on notice. Fight for conservative values or else. So we're sending a message right now. We expect that fight. When we get back from Thanksgiving, we need a plan to reduce spending overall from 23 to 24, pay for any supplemental spending, stop spending blank check money to Ukraine, stand with Israel, hold the Senate in check, and do what we need to do to secure the southern border. So we've had enough. We're sending a shot across the bow. We do this in good faith. We want to see these bills move. We want to see good, righteous policy. I asked House Democratic leader Hakeem Jeffries about the GOP infighting. The House Republican reality show is out of control right now. And it is undermining the ability of the Congress to solve problems on behalf of hardworking American taxpayers. Congressman Matt Gates, who's not part of the Freedom Caucus but often sides with them, tells me he's also fed up with some of his Republican colleagues. Are you fighting for less spending? Well, then let's actually vote for and pass the amendments that cut spending. Are you fighting for a secure border? Then you've got to be willing 
to shut down other parts of this government to get the changes on the border we have to have. So I think I think that's where I hope people's priorities get appropriately aligned. Meanwhile, Senate Democrats are praising the outcome. I am pleased that Speaker Johnson realized he needed Democratic votes to avoid a shutdown. If the Speaker is willing to work with Democrats and resist the siren song of the hard right in the House, then we can avoid shutdowns in the future and finish the work of funding the government. Bottom line, we could see another standoff come mid-January when the first part of the government funding expires. That's only eight weeks away. Meanwhile, congressional leaders say that they will start working on an aid for Israel, border security, and possibly more funds for Ukraine when they return from the Thanksgiving break. At the Capitol, Eric Rosales, EWTN, News Nightly. Joining us now is Republican Congressman Mike Lawler from New York. Congressman Lawler, good to be with you again. Um, so what did you think about House Freedom Caucus putting Speaker Johnson on notice? Well, look, uh, I, I think my colleagues in the House Freedom Caucus need to recognize uh, that we are in a 221-seat uh, majority. Uh, and we either are going to sink together or swim together. We have to govern. Uh, and to constantly uh, snipe at uh, leadership, to constantly, uh, you know, stomp your feet when you don't get your way uh, is not actually serving a purpose. Uh, and it's not helping us accomplish uh, what the American people elected us uh, to do. They elected us to serve as a check and balance on this administration to rein in the reckless spending, uh, to secure our border, uh, to deal with the international crises that have been created uh, in part by the policies of this administration to increase domestic production of energy. Those are the issues that we ran on, that we won on, uh, and we need to be focused on. Uh, and so, you know, the idea that they're putting the speaker on notice after uh, removing uh, Speaker McCarthy with the help of 208 Democrats, uh, frankly, is a joke. Yeah, Senate Democrats uh, blocked a spending bill that included aid to Israel. Will House Republicans try again with another bill? And would it include funding for border security and aid to Ukraine as well? Well, obviously, we passed a, a supplemental aid bill to support Israel with $14.3 billion uh, and a, uh, you know, uh, pay for uh, within uh, the, the provisions of that bill. Uh, we are going to deal with uh, Ukraine and the border um, and uh, and obviously ultimately get aid to Israel. Uh, all of this is going to be negotiated as part of the appropriations process. Um, but we need to come to a resolution on it. Uh, the Democrats uh, can, you know, say that they uh, don't want to pay for it. They can say that they uh, want to have Israel, Ukraine all tied together. But we have to negotiate. And, and that's what happens in a divided government. Same thing I would say to my, my colleagues on the right. Um, we need to negotiate and we need to to find a resolution forward on these important issues. Congressman Lawler, I want to talk about this infighting and wondering if you're concerned that it could affect the 2024 election and maybe even cause the Republicans to lose the House. There are a lot of challenges ahead, and I think uh, Republicans have a great chance uh, to take uh, all three uh, branches here and uh, enact the policies that the American people uh, elected us to fight for. Uh, but we have to show that we're able to govern. We have to show that we're able to pass legislation through the House. Uh, the infighting has to stop. Uh, and the focus has to be on the issues and the American people. 
Uh, we're not going to agree on everything. Uh, but folks need to put their big boy pants on and stop crying when they don't get their way 100 percent of the time. Uh, quickly, before I let you go, I want to talk about this. As you know, the House Ethics Committee released its report on Congressman George Santos. I want to get your reaction to that. Well, it confirms everything uh, that uh, we believe to be true. Uh, he's a fraud. Uh, he defrauded the voters. He defrauded donors. He defrauded the NRCC. Uh, and uh, obviously, uh, based on the guilty plea of his treasurer, the guilty plea of a, a former staff member, uh, and the ethics report, uh, it's clear that his conduct was criminal. All right. We're going to leave it right there. Congressman Lawler, thank you so much for your time. We appreciate it. Thank you. For more, let's bring in Vince Colonnese, editorial director of The Daily Caller. Vince, great to be with you again. All right, first off, let's talk about what's not in the bill uh, in terms of funding for Israel, Ukraine, and the border. Uh, were you surprised at all? I'm not surprised that it didn't include any sort of additional funding because, look, this is Speaker uh, Mike Johnson, brand new to the job. He's basically asking his rightward flank, the most conservative members of the House, the people who are actually concerned about cutting some spending for the benefit of the American people. He's just asking for their patience. He's saying, look, I want to negotiate a spending deal, a broad spending deal for the whole government. But we've got uh, we need a little bit more time. We can't have this. It's coming up. It was coming up later this month and this week. The, the funding was going to run out. So he said, just give me until a little bit in January. We're going to extend some of this to January. We're going to extend some of it to February. And then during that time, we're going to negotiate and, and get a big uh, spending agreement underway that the American people deserve. I want to pivot now. I want to talk about what happened last night um, outside of the DNC headquarters uh, here in Washington, D.C., some really rowdy and violent protests. What more do you know about this? And also, what is the signal for Democrats? Well, this look, I mean, very few places are going to say it. I'll, I'll be the one that says it. These were Democrats who were were rioting at the Democrat National Committee. These weren't Republican voters. These were people who would normally under normal circumstances vote for Joe Biden. Uh, and so there they were last night rioting outside the DNC. They had locked arms and tried to blockade the whole door, the, uh, the access points to the building itself. Uh, D.C. police uh, rightly decided that, hey, we can't do that. We got to break that up. So they tried to pull it apart. Uh, and it ended up with a lot of violence uh, as the, the riot really exploded. Uh, and I think what it tells us is that there is a dramatic amount of infighting within the Democrat Party that includes a whole host of radical forces who are very much against Israel and refuse to believe that Israel could in any way be a victim of the terror attack we saw on October 7th. And I, I'd say for, for me and my neighbors and friends, it, the one of the things that, that really bums us out, certainly me, is realizing wow, this is a very prevalent, a much far more prevalent view in the United States than I think many of us expected. Yeah, definitely, Vince. So much more we can talk about. We have to leave it right there. Always great to get your insights. Thank you so much. Thanks, Tracy. Oh, we have a lot more still to come here on EWTN News Nightly, including one website, Thousands of Church Teachings. Creator of Magisterium AI, Matthew Sanders, is here to talk about the massive updates to the site and reports on a violent attack on a Haitian hospital. The story we recently brought you about an online tool for helping clergy and lay people learn more about the faith. Magisterium AI, or artificial intelligence, is being used every day in more than 125 countries. It offers access to around 5,200 works 
Only the Vatican has more online Catholic documents. The site also provides access to works by St. Thomas Aquinas, early church fathers, and more. And for more, we turn now to Matthew Sanders, creator of Magisterium AI. Matthew, great to have you back on. So remind us again about some of the uses of Magisterium AI. Uh, we know that it can help the faithful answer questions like, do Catholic worship saints? Uh, it can also help priests write homilies and provide research for students. Exactly right. Some of the uh, the new mode we just launched called Scholarly Mode provides an opportunity for academics and, and researchers as well to do primary um, research and source analysis on, as you mentioned, the works of St. Thomas Aquinas and St. Augustine and Church Fathers. What's neat about the te technology um, is it's about, because there's there's so many of these of these uh, works by these famous theologians we all know. A good example would be the Summa. There's so many other works that St. Thomas has written that people have never heard of it before. And, and as opposed to going to a library and basically pulling all the all the books off the shelf and kind of skimming through them, what's neat about it is you can just kind of ask a question which is on your mind about St. Thomas, and it'll go and do the work for you of querying all these works. And sometimes we have people report to us they're surprised to learn about a work St. Thomas Aquinas, something he said about a particular topic they thought they were an expert in. But they had no idea. He, he talked about it in some other work. Yeah. So tell us, since the last time we talked, what have been some of the recent updates? Well, I think the last time we talked, we had about 600 documents that the AI was referencing. And now it's referencing, as you mentioned, around, around 5,200. Um, so that, that's one major development. There's still a lot more work to do on that. But uh, certainly adding the new documents has added a lot more depth. There's a lot of him, hidden magisterial teaching that people just don't know about. For instance, I mean, I, I always knew that the most recent popes had done a lot of you know, catechesis and their general audiences, for instance. But I didn't know this has been done by successive popes for a long time. And that, and a lot of the subjects they'd covered are still in, incredibly relevant. So that, that's one thing that we've been hearing a lot from people is that they appreciate getting access and hearing from these popes in ways they never heard from before. Another, uh, of course, important addition is the scholarly mode. In addition to the 5,200 magisterial documents, we've added about, about 1,200 new um, Catholic theological and, and, and philosophical works in there. Uh, that's going to be expanding uh, significantly as we invent new technology to help us with this library digitization process, which, which we're doing in partnership with the Pontifical or Angel Institute. So, of course, as that database grows and we have access to new works, it becomes more and more useful to more and more people around the world. That's really exciting. Uh, what are you most excited about? Well, I think the, the adoption has been something. I mean, you mentioned 125 uh, countries, and some of those countries um, came as a bit of a shock to us. Uh, you know, the United Arab Emirates was one of them. I mean, Kazakhstan, last night we had, we, had a, we had a peak in Kazakhstan, which was really fascinating. So it's just, you know, I know Pope, this pontificate, Pope Francis, has focused a lot about reaching the periphery. And, and, I, and as I mentioned to you last time, that the, the point of this tool was to try and bring, make t church teaching more accessible um, and make it accessible to anyone on any device in their native language. And so it's been really, really neat is that as we've rolled this, this platform out and made it available in different languages, we've been seeing adoption around the world. One of our largest user groups is actually in Hong Kong, uh, surprisingly. Wow, that is really neat. I, I love to hear that. Matthew, I'm curious, though, you know, as we know, like technology is really not fail-proof. So talk to us about maybe some of the potential downfalls to AI. AI still has a long way to go. And so, you know, this is still very much a beta product. We've been very happy with the progress we made to date. I mean, one of the major problems with, with artificial intelligence systems is they're prone to hallucinate. So that's been a battle we've been dealing with since the beginning. So far, it's been it's been very good, and we've been able to get down those hallucinations down to a very small percentile. But uh, as we as we add new works and we continue to upgrade the the AI, AI it gets more and more faithful. So that's that's one challenge. It's just increasing people's confidence in its ability um, not to make things up. That's one of the reasons why uh, we added citations 
into MetaStream AI from the very beginning that was very important to us to be transparent about where the AI's answers are generating from. So that if you think something it says is not doesn't sound right, you can go and check the primary sources. This is something that ChatGPT and Bard do not do yet. Um, they will query the internet for you and give you an internet resource. But one of the things that our users said they like so much is that our AI is built on top of simply uh, magisterial church teaching. Uh, that's all. So the references are coming straight from the documents of the church. Matthew, we have maybe 30 seconds left or so, but quickly, if people would like more information, um, how can they find out about that? And also, what's next? Yeah, so if you'd like to, to try Metasterium uh, AI, it's at metasterium.com. Uh, what's next is really is about expanding our partnerships and getting access to more and more works. We've been you know, combing the internet uh, as much as we can, but there's a lot of hidden treasures inside of those libraries. So as we increase our partnerships with pontifical universities and get our hands on more more important theological and philosophical works, we want to make those available to our users uh, in, in our scholarly mode. So stay tuned. There's lots more to come. All right. We will stay tuned, Matthew. Great talking to you again. What a wonderful tool. We appreciate it. God bless. Thanks very much. Up next on EWTN News Nightly, call to honor the poor. A Vatican hospital carries out an initiative by Pope Francis and how they are taking care of those in need. Plus, abandon yourself to the Lord. Pope Francis offers words of encouragement at the annual conference of National Association of Hispanic Priests. Pennsylvania House of Representatives passed a bill that would protect those traveling from out of state seeking an abortion. Opponents have raised concerns about its constitutionality. The measure will now head to the Republican-controlled Senate, where it will likely face opposition. In Haiti, tensions are high following a confrontation at a hospital. A heavily armed gang surrounded the hospital in Port-au-Prince, trapping women, children and newborns inside while burning homes in the surrounding area. It wasn't until police arrived in armored vehicles that the people were rescued. 40 children and 70 patients were evacuated. Well, this weekend marks World Day of the Poor at a clinic in the Vatican is working overtime to provide help to those in need. EWTN Vatican News correspondent Colin Flynn has more. Sunday, November 19th, marks the seventh edition of the World Day of the Poor. The initiative was started in 2017 by Pope Francis to urge the Church to go outside its walls and encounter poverty in all its shapes and forms all over the world today. During the week leading up to the World Day of the Poor, the Madre de Misericordia Clinic, a facility located next to St. Peter's Square, offers special medical care to the poorest, as explained to EWTN News by the hospital's manager, Dr. Massimo Rally. This is the clinic of the Department of Charity Service that offers year-round, daily, free care to the poor and needy. This week, though, the hours will be a little longer, so instead of just being open in the morning, the clinic will also be open in the afternoon to offer as much free care to as many poor as possible. The team in charge of this health care consists of a group of 50 doctors and nurses who are all volunteers. In the morning after a briefing, the nurses, doctors and practitioners go to the various rooms and each room is dedicated to a specialty. There is the cardiology part, the gynecology part, and the general medicine part. So then everyone, depending on the needs of the patient, does their own work within the clinic. 
With the extended hours this week, they are seeing twice as many people than usual, about 130 patients a day. Once they receive a diagnosis, a treatment plan is drawn up so they can be cared for in the weeks and months ahead. When we see the need for a specialist visit, the patient is referred directly to the specialist doctor. Then, however, we ask the patient to return to the general practitioner who first took care of them so we can then take stock of his or her medical history a bit and possibly refer them for treatment or at least chronic therapy in order to arrange subsequent follow-up visits. On Sunday morning, the Holy Father will preside over Mass with the poor in St. Peter's Basilica within the Vatican, followed, as is customary, by a special lunch in Paul VI Hall. In Rome, Colm Flynn, EWTN News Nightly. On finally tonight, Pope Francis issues a message of encouragement to a group of Hispanic priests from the United States. In a meeting at the Vatican, the Holy Father said the priests should abandon themselves to the Lord and not rely on well-designed pastoral proposals. Pope Francis says the Lord will bring their work to completion and make sure it bears fruit. Lastly, the Pope praised the Eucharistic revival in the United States, saying time in front of the tabernacle gives us the chance to alleviate the suffering of Christ. Oh, we thank you for watching tonight. Remember, you can follow us on social media, Facebook, X, and Instagram at EWTN News Nightly. I'm Tracy Sable. Good night and God bless.